Good morning, church. We've come to the end now of our series in the book of Nehemiah. And this morning, we're just going to pray before we delve into this last chapter, chapter 13. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word brings blessing to our lives. We pray that we would keep your word ever before us and that we would, Lord, concentrate on what your word says, that we would practice your word through the power of your Holy Spirit to be the men and the women that you so desire us to be. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, guys, as we come to an end, we see that this community of God's people have done an amazing thing to build these walls. After so much opposition, they've had ridicule, they've had threats, they've had discouragement, they've had intimidation, and yet they have been able to complete this physical task of building the walls of Jerusalem. And not only that, they have a spiritual revival. These guys, because they have kept God's word central in their lives, they have this revival and it starts by them coming to that place where they return to God in brokenness. And because they remember the goodness of God and all the Lord has done for them, these guys come to a place where they have a recognition of their sin. And that causes these people to come to that place where they have renewal of obedience to the things of God. And these people make these promises towards the Lord. As we come to the end of this book and we delve into chapter 13, I would love to be able to say to you that as we read through this chapter, we see all the amazing fruits of the revival that these folk have gone through. But sadly, we don't. Nehemiah had to return as promised to King Arxaxerxes to go back to him and be his cupbearer. But we see it says that he then returns, asks for permission to return back to be the governor at um, Jerusalem again. But on his return, he sees that these people who he left in the midst of revival, that these people who had made all these promises to God, in fact now are living in a place of compromise. They made a promise not to neglect the house of God. Look at verse four and five, it says this, but this, sorry, before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah and he had provided him with a large room formerly used as a storeroom for the grain offerings, the incense and the temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and oil, olive oil prescribed to the Levites, the musicians and the gatekeepers, as well as the contribution for the priests. Tobiah is now living in the temple. And before we get to him, and um, we get to Eliashib, who is to blame for a lot of what has happened here. But just before we lie all the blame at his door for these guys neglecting the house of God, I want us to come back to verse five and I want us to notice this We phrase, he was given a large room formally used to store all the offerings and all the utensils used in worship. God's people had promised 
and agreed that they would look after the house of God and the servants of God. This room would have been the place where they would have stored all these things. And along the way somewhere, they had gone back on their words and this room had fallen into disuse. We learn from verse 10 that those who had chosen, remember we spoke about this last week or the last time we spoke on this subject, how that the men had chosen to come and live among God's people, that they could serve them and they could love them and they could um, do acts of worship on their behalf and for them and to bless them. They had chosen not to live in the, the other times and look after their own needs, but to serve the needs of the people. But in turn, God's people of Israel were to look after those who looked after the temple. And we see that they hadn't. And then God's servants had to go back to the fields, to tend to the fields, to get an income, to look after themselves. And the house of the Lord was falling into disrepair. The community that they chose to love had not held up their side of the bargain to love them enough to care for their needs. And verse 11, Nehemiah says, why is the house of God neglected? You know, church, when we neglect this temple, our spiritual temple, when we don't keep the word of God central, when we don't keep the word of God and feed on the word of God in our lives and enhance our lives through worship and prayer, one of the first things that will fall into decline in our lives is the need for the house of God and to be with God's children and to have fellowship and to spend time with the servants of Christ and look after the servants of Christ and his house. And when we don't maintain these temples, Giving ourselves to the one who gave us his all, you will see how quickly our temple, our hearts can be filled up with other things. But Tobiah in the temple of God, Tobiah was an Ammonite. And we read through the first few verses, we get this understanding The reason why they were told that they could not be a part of the assembly of God's people was because of the days when the children of Israel had come out of um, Egypt and were finding their way to the promised land. And they wanted to go through the lands of Ammon and the land of the Moabites. And they refused to allow them to go through, even though the children of God had said they would pay for their passage, for their food and for their water, that they would stick to the main roads and not go into their fields, promised all of this. And yet they refused safe passage through their land. And in fact, what they did was they called on the false prophet of Balaam to come and to say words against, put curse upon the children of Israel. And because of this, they were barred from the assembly of God's people. And Tobiah was one of their ancestors. He shouldn't have been there. But not only that, when you think about Tobiah in the early days of these people coming together, Tobiah was one of these guys who had come against the people of God, had ridiculed them, had mocked them, had laughed at them and caused them to feel intimidated. He was not for the children of Israel rebuilding the walls. He was the guy that even when the other nations around had saw that 
God's hand was in this rebuilding and God's hand was on the work of God, he still sent intimidating letters to God's servant, Nehemiah. But when Nehemiah found out where he was and what he was doing, Nehemiah went into that room and he just cleared it out. The furniture was thrown out upon the street. Then Nehemiah purified those rooms and put everything back in there that should have been there, the utensil brought in, the gifts again, that this room could be used for a place of worship and adoration for our God. And you know, church, we need to be ruthless. We need to be ruthless for whatever would try to occupy our hearts and push the Lord Jesus out. We need to put it out. We need to purify ourselves and we need to put back in place everything that gives God honour and glory in our lives. We need to keep Jesus central in our lives all the time. They had also promised that they would keep the Sabbath. Look at verses 15 to 22 and it says this. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing grain and loading it in donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs and all the other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing the fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the Sabbath, um, sorry, the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And from that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God. And show mercy to me according to your great love. People were working, buying and selling on the day they were supposed to keep holy. A day that was supposed to be set apart for the people of God to spend time with their God, resting in his presence. In verse 19, we see Nehemiah sets his gatekeepers. Remember, gatekeepers are to close things out and welcome things in. But here they were closing out anything that would destroy the people's rest with their God to protect this day. Now, as New Testament believers, the Sabbath was not, the Sabbath law was not repeated for us. In fact, in Galatians 2 and 16, it releases the believer from the Sabbath rule. Jesus is our Sabbath. And he has become our Sabbath rest, according to Hebrews 4, 1 to 11. For a believer, every day should be holy unto the Lord. 
But friends, if we do not look after the spiritual temple, if we don't look after ourselves and allow ourselves to take rest in our God and enjoy our Creator, we will find that we will be fred, we will find that we will not be who we're supposed to be and our God when we feel we need to work on our rest days. And sometimes we often justify that by thinking, well, if I work these days, I'm building up some extra money to be able to take a holiday for a greater rest or to get something else in my life for leisure or to be able to get something that I need. Are we saying to the Lord, that he is not worth spending time with? Are we saying to the Lord, the one who knows our needs even before we ask, the one who is able to clothe the lilies of the field, that we do not trust him to meet us at our need, that for us to work for these things are more important for us to trust him and to enjoy rest with him and to know that he knows our need and that he will be able to provide everything. Remember, he tells us, take your yoke upon me and learn of me, who is gentle and humble of heart, and I will give your souls rest. He's the one we need to go to for our rest, and he is the one who can give us rest beyond all rest. How foolish we are not to rest in and with our God, who knows how best to cause us to have the best rest ever. Church, for me personally, I know this. I know myself well enough now to know that when I don't take spiritual rest and I don't take physical rest, that is when the enemy of my soul can have a field day with me. That's when the enemy of my soul can come and tempt me and oftentimes I will yield to that temptation because I've not taken time out to rest physically and rest in God and get that pure strength that I need for him. Rest, Sabbath rest is good for our soul and is good for us as we walk with the Lord. And thirdly, we see that they have promises recorded in Nehemiah chapter 10 that they would not give their children in marriage to people who were foreign to them. We read this in verses 23 to 27. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them called curses down in them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Aren't you glad he's not your pastor? I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these the Solomon king of Israel sinned? Among the many nations that were was no king like him. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel, but even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying um, foreign women? Friends, this was not about interracial um, relationships, but this is about interfaith marriage. 
Remember Solomon, oh, that old loved king, ended up dividing his heart with God because of the very fact that the women that he loved, that he was trying to please them and therefore would not please God in that process. Here in verse 24, we realize that in this generation, their downfall was this, that their children were not taught the language of Judah, that is Hebrew. And therefore, because they could not understand Hebrew, they could not listen and comprehend God's word. The very thing that brought this nation into a revival, here now these children would not be able to comprehend the word of God. Parent, I want to say this to you this morning. I know there's a great pressure in these days, a pressure put upon you that it's like you're being a bad parent because often activities run now on a Sunday morning, physical activities and, and parties and different bits and pieces that go on now on a Sunday morning. And sometimes we can feel that we're doing wrong by our kids, to, that our kids miss out on some of these things. But I want to say this to you, our kids will miss out even greater if they are not taught the things of God and to value the house of God. And one of the things I would say this morning to you is this. If you're not enthusiastic about the house of God, if you have not made Sunday a fun day, let me tell you, your children will not be enthusiastic about the house of God. You'll make a rod for your back. You need to make it exciting for your kids as it is and teach them the things of God. You want to put a deep value in your children's heart that's important. Their spiritual life is more important than any physical activity or entertainment that you can give them within this life. But let's go back to verse 4. And we see Elishep here, he's, it says he's closely associated to Tobiah. What that basically meant was this, that he was related to Tobiah through marriage. And then we go down to verse 28 and it also tells us about Joiada, who is the son of Elishep, and he was the son-in-law of Sambalad. Now, we've met this guy before in chapter 2, verse 19, and he too was one of these guys who had mocked and ridiculed the children of God, in fact, accused them of having a rebellion against the king. These folk were compromising their relationship with God for their relationships with other men and women. And you know, church, when we put even blood relations before the covenant blood relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ, we really are on dangerous grounds. We've seen it before in scripture. We've seen it in church when people will put relationships one with the other ahead of what is righteous and doing what is righteous for God and their relationships. And often that leads to disastrous results. Christ plainly teaches us in Luke chapter 14, if we're going to be his disciple, that he is number one in our life, over even the closest relationships that we can have, that he must be number one in our life. And yet with his grace, he tells us, if we seek first the kingdom of God, all of these things will be added to us as well, but he must be number one in our lives. You know, someone once said about the book of Nehemiah, it's sin at the start, it's all about sin in the middle, and it's all about sin at the end. 
And maybe when you contemplate your life with God and your work for the Lord, that sometimes you consider it's like you take two or three steps forward in God and then 10 steps back and you get frustrated with yourself and therefore feel God will be frustrated with you also. Can I remind you of Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 again and it says this, but you are a forgiving God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, therefore you will not desert them. The Lord doesn't want to desert you. The Lord wants to keep using you and keep you close and keep using you as a living stone to build the kingdom. Have you noticed that in these phrases with Nehemiah, or there's a one phrase that keeps coming up with Nehemiah over every, every time that Nehemiah mentions the promises that they end up compromising. Nehemiah says, and Lord, remember me. Lots of different theologians have different takes upon this. But my personal take is this. I believe that Nehemiah had an unshakable faith in God's grace and in God's purposes. God's purpose for us in the New Testament, he tells us, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in your journey of faith, and your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, at times you will fail God in your own strength. But we will never fail when we continually put our trust in his grace to save us, to keep us, to use us, and his grace to restore us when we come to him in repentance. Child of God this morning, friend this morning, Keep pressing into God's grace. Keep pressing into God's purposes to build the kingdom of God for his honor and his glory. Amen.